Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this bonus episode of the Intercooler podcast, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Um, now, this is in addition to our regular weekly podcast, um, so a, hopefully a little bonus treat for you all. You may know that we have a partnership with Bonhams. Um, one of their big sales is just around the corner at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Um, Andrew, we've been having a leaf through the catalogue, um, and we're going to have a chat about some of the consignments that uh, leapt out at us. Um, there's some good stuff in there, isn't there? That's a, the, the, yeah, and, and, and it's what I always love about these uh, Bonhams Goodwood sales. It's just the variety. Mm. So we've got everything in there, haven't we? From road cars to Formula One cars to classic cars to electrified classic cars, yeah. um, all across the areas, all across the genres. Any kind of car you could be interested in, there will be at least one example, probably more, um, in the catalogue. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I just love getting these catalogues and just wandering through them, and I can't afford any of them, but. Um, it's, it's it's just a great thing to do. It is. It's, it's like I tell, I, tell, I tell you what it's like because you, you can't do it anymore. Uh, you're you're too young even to remember this. But you know, one of the great joys when I was a kid was just looking through the classifieds in the back of um, motorsport magazine, pages and pages and pages of classifieds, and you know, racing cars and road cars and all that sort of thing. And and actually, that's what auction catalogues have become these days. It's just and people, you know, kind of would actually go out and they buy the magazine for the adverts. You know, as well as the editorial, but yeah. you know, quite often it would be the ads they turn to first, um, and that's what I love about these things. They're just um, you know because you get all the big descriptions, you get the lovely photographs, and as I say, this fantastic variety of stuff. Mm. Uh, and and the Bonhams Goodwood Festival sale is always you know one of their biggest sales of the year, isn't it? and as we're about to find out, there's always a load of good stuff in it. Yeah, not least this time. So if you want to know more about this sale, there, there'll be a link in the description to take you to the online catalogue, or you can just search. Bonhams cars and you'll find it that way later on we're going to talk to Richard Stafford from Bonhams to find out a bit more about the auction Um, but first Andrew 
which car will you be fantasy bidding on come June 24th? <laughs> uh, yes, I can just see your hand very... <laughs> going up in the air as you sit at home. <laughs> yes, it, it will definitely be a fantasy bid. Oh, I mean, well... Um... I have spent so much of my life boring people to death about the Lola T70. Um, uh-huh. And there is a Lola T70 in there. Um, there's a Mark I, um, which is like the original sort of Can-Am car from 1965. So these are beautiful cars um, with stonking great Chevy V8 engines in the back, Can-Am cars, skinny tires. So you haven't even got a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, and I've driven one, and they're just they're just ridiculous they are so fast and so exciting and so dangerous and i just absolutely love it and actually this one is guiding at 250 to 350,000 pounds which doesn't strike me as being an enormous amount of money now i don't know i mean sometimes you wonder whether you know these things are sort of priced to excite and you know come by the time the gavel goes down maybe it'll be done a lot better than that i don't know but um wow and you know and it's kind of like a I don't know whether it is a guaranteed entry to the Whitson's Trophy at Goodwood, but it probably is. Um, and this is, I think this is the very first T70 that ever got built. So it's quite yeah. an important car. Um, and yeah. <laughs> it raced um, at Sebring, the Sebring 12 Hours in 1965. So it's the first T70 to start a World Sports Car Championship race. Um, there you go. Good enough for me. Yeah, it's eligible for the for Peter Auto um, for the Goodwood Revival Whitson Trophy. It's described as a potentially winning car there. Um, it's currently fitted with a 5.7 litre Chevy small block on the dyno, 573.5 brake horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, yeah, that's actually that's a stack more than it would have had in 1965. Yeah, I mean that would that will I mean, you put someone decent in that, and it'll lap Goodwood in under one minute twenty seconds. Can you imagine? <laughs> No, I can't actually. It sounds terrifying, but exhilarating oh, at the same time. It, yeah, I mean, but what a way to go! I mean, you'd have so much <laughs> and the noise of the thing. I mean, you'd be yeah. deaf for weeks, and oh, you, you know, you'd just be a jelly when you got out of that, wouldn't you? And, and oh, frankly, what an exciting thing. You could enjoy just looking at it in your garage at home, couldn't you? It's you a could. stunning. Yeah, thing. I, I wouldn't be doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. What? Well, go on. Let's switch disciplines. We're yeah. still within motorsport, but we're moving from sports car racing to Formula One. <clears throat> and this is probably the, the sort of headline consignment in this sale, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is. Yeah. An ex-Michael Schumacher and Ricardo Patrese 1993 Benetton Formula One car. It's a B193B, guiding at 1.1 to 1.6 million. So we really are in the realms of fantasy. Um, but there's something about these early 90s F1 cars. I think they're among the best-looking F1 cars of all time. They are. Uh, and there's something about... Well, I think any ex-Michael Schumacher Formula 1 car mm. has, a, has a magic about it. It certainly does, certainly does to me. Uh, and the particular thing about this one is, unlike so many of them, it works. Yeah. It's on the button. It's actually got an engine. I mean, it's, it's quite often you look at these things and you think, oh, that's great, and you can't believe how cheap they are, and then you suddenly realise they don't have an engine, an engine in them. Uh, this does. It does. You know, and you can go, yeah, go and you, drive it. You can go and drive it, and it, it does get demonstrated. It gets used. So the interesting thing about this car is that it's in sort of demo tune. It's not in race tune, which is actually, if you're not trying to win a world championship, you probably want it in demo tune, don't you? Because it means you can actually run it. It means it's got some life in it. It's not going to 
cost an inordinate amount of money to to lap it around a circuit. It last was demonstrated at the Goodwood members meeting earlier this year. Um, so if you were at Goodwood for the members meeting, you probably saw this car screaming around. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't imagine in demo mode you're going to get bored. No. <laughs> no, you're not. It's it's I still mean, got a stack of power, a load of downforce. It's yeah. a 90s F1 car. It's going to rip your head off. It is. It's going to absolutely rip your head off. Yeah. So Wonderful thing. This one is um, chassis number four. It is a, a Ross Braun and Rory Byrne car. Um, and there's a significance there, isn't there? Those two guys working together later on. Well, at Benetton with Schumacher and then at Ferrari with Schumacher, there's a real legacy there. Um, well, this, and, is from the, this is from the year before they started yeah. winning championships, isn't it? Yeah, a really significant time. Um, yeah. The car was used extensively as a test car through 1993 um, by both drivers, Schumacher and Patrese. But Schumacher qualified it at the British Grand Prix in 93, qualifying third. Um, so in its day, this was a competitive car. And then Patrese raced it at Silverstone. For some reason, they swapped that weekend. They swapped cars. Um, and Patrese finished on the podium at Silverstone. So this is a podium finisher in Formula One. Two very significant drivers have been at its wheel. Um, it's just, and I, it I, works. And it works. On the button, it's described as. Um, so how long, do you, how long do you think? So let us say they... Sorry, we're back in fantasy land because, you know, that's where, that's where I spend most of my time these days. So you have uh, a nice big safe circuit, Silverstone. You've got Silverstone Grand Prix circuit to yourself for a day, okay? And you've got that and you've got unlimited um, support and people and, you know, and let's say the car doesn't go wrong. How long do you think it would take before you could even begin to say that you'd had... A proper idea of what that car was like to drive. See, this is the thing about <clears throat> competition cars of this caliber. I think your neck would go and it wouldn't come back before That's the thing. you'd got anywhere near what the car could do. Yeah. I think you have to be built for it, don't you? You do. So uh, actually, you're not going to go, you think to yourself, oh, well, I'll just go around all day. Mm. Um, and by the end of it, I'll be, I don't know, 10 seconds off. But you wouldn't be. Because no. physically, you wouldn't be capable of doing it. And frankly, even if you were, I suspect that being 10 seconds off Michael Schumacher and that, you'd need to be a really pretty good driver. I don't know. I'm sure you would. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't think... But even so, you know, it doesn't mean you're not going to have the time of your life doing it. Yeah, it'd be fun to try, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It really would yeah. be fun to try. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what this one goes for. We'll be keeping an eye on this. As I said, it's June 24th. Um, all these cars go under the hammer with Bonhams at the Goodwood good Festival of Speed. Yeah, it's a live auction. Um, I'm sure it'll be streamed online somewhere as well, so we can watch as this thing gets bought. Oh, amazing, amazing car. Uh, so let's move on to the road. 1993 Jaguar XJ220. Um, yeah. Now, I this is a bit of a boyhood poster car for me. I didn't have a poster. I had the Scale Electric car, which is the same thing really, isn't it? And I... It just, I mean, even to me, even then, this is probably the late 90s, it looked like a spaceship. And when you see one now, they are so long and so wide and so low, yeah. they just they actually don't look like cars at all. What is amazing about the SJ220 is you look at all the cars that came out around it. So you look at things like um, the Ferrari F40 and the Porsche 959 before it. 
um, all the Bugatti EB110 and obviously the McLaren F1 after it. These are all million pound cars. Yeah, all of them. They all cost, you know, a million pounds minimum. And this XG220, you know, until the F1, McLaren F1 came out, it was the fastest car in the world. Not only was it the fastest car in the world, it, had, it, it advanced the art by a massive degree. Before the XG220, there was like, you know, F40 just done 200 miles an hour, just. You know, the XG220 did, well, it did more than 230, but in sort of road going form, it did 213 miles an hour. And that is an enormous gain. Um, they're very rare. There are only 300 and something of them. They're beautiful. It has genuine competition success. David Coulthard won his class at Le Mans in one until he was uh, disqualified for some pathetic technicality, um, which I can bore you about another time. And yet, it's a you know this, it's, it's, this white car is guiding at 375 to 425. So it's you know it's between a third and half the price of any of the other cars that were around at the time. And I think it is still trying to escape, escape that stigma, isn't it? That you know, when it was first unveiled in 1988, it was this four-wheel drive, 48-valve V12 behemoth. And then it came out uh, and people would say, oh, it's got an engine from a, you know, from a Metro rally car in the back of it, um, which was pretty unfair. Well, um, it was also the same engine that they were using in Group C at the time. So it's a proper engine. Um, but then Jaguar sued the owners who tried to get out of their commitment to it and it all got very unpleasant. And I think, I think the car is still suffering from that. I drove one, I've driven one yeah. within the last couple of months. Um, and in some ways it feels old. I mean, really old. Um, that big clattery engine, the doors don't open very wide and it's pretty archaic inside and that sort of thing. But oh my goodness, you know, we think, well, this car's 30 years old, nice old thing. Don't believe it. It is, even today, by you know, all the stuff that we've driven in the interior, this is a really fast car. I mean, think about it. This is a car which did 0-16, 3.6 seconds. With no four-wheel drive, with no sticky tyres, with no launch control, with no traction control. Um, so, you know, with all the advantages that modern cars have, I mean, that would have been a three-second car. That is the level of performance we're talking about. Um and you know they're probably not for everyone but you know i love the way they look uh i love the pedigree you know these are tom walkinshaw cars they're you know it's a proper proper thing um and i think i think their time is still to come you do do you so are, are they sort of steadily creeping up in value along with everything else at the moment they or is have that yet done, yeah yeah they have they, they, they have been creeping up um there was for a while a big issue you just couldn't get tires for them um and so the people stopped using them and, you know, and, that, and their values plummeted and, you know, but, but that's now changed. Um, I know that I think Jaguar worked with Pirelli to get a tyre that fitted and uh, Don Law has um, got Bridgestone to reissue a version of the original tyre. So, so that's not a problem. So you can use them. And I think values are starting to creep up. But, you know, look around, look at the other stuff you could have got at the time. And it's, they've still got a way to go. Now, I'm not saying for a moment, oh, you know, you have to go out and buy an SG220 because you'll make half a million quid in it. I don't know that you will. But it does strike me as being, given all that it achieved, given what it was, given the way that it looks, its pedigree, its performance and everything else, it does strike me as being a bit of an outlier. Um, and it's scarcity. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I'll, I think they still look sensational. I'll always have a soft spot for the SG220. Um, okay, so let's mix it up a little bit now because there are a couple of classics uh within the consignment that have been converted to electric electric power um now this is the sort of conversation that rages on isn't it is that sacrilege or is it does it give the, these cars a new lease of life and mean you can use them in ways that you wouldn't otherwise 
um, perhaps in town. And I just wonder what your overall view of this sort of thing is. I think my view is it isn't the case in every classic car that the engine and transmission is a part of its character or that it adds to the driving experience. If the engine is a bit uninspiring or the gearbox is a bit uninspiring, then I think fair enough. However, when, in, for instance, an odd 911, and the engine is such a core part of the driving experience that I think it's a shame to rip it out and replace it. Yeah, I think you're, you are absolutely correct. Um, I, th- I think two things. Um, one is it's so dependent on the car. So one of the cars they've got here is a, an R107 Mercedes-Benz 350 SL, um, better known to my, to, to my generation as a Bobby Ewing, because that's what Bobby Ewing used to drive around in, in Dallas. Um, and that is a soft, wafty, cruisy, lovely old thing to knock about in. And in that case, why not? You know, it's not as if there's some seminal driving experience you're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to ruin. Um, and I, I quite like the idea of that. Um, the other one is a BMW 3 litre CSI. Now, to me, you know, that lovely old straight six is part of the character of that car. Um, it's not something that I would choose to do to that car itself. But even so, the second thing I wanted to say is, frankly, I think you can do what you like as long as you can put it back. And some of these... Um, some of these conversions involve hacking the car around so much that um, you can't turn it back to what it was. Others are done very sympathetically. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 you know, as long as it's the right kind of car and you can put it back, fill your boots. Um, but as you say, you know, the idea of somebody doing, you know, and I think it's been done, an electric 911 that you can't put back. Um, well, not for me. But, you know, these things, and certainly the SL, um, I can see that completely. Yeah, yeah, the the three litre CSI. Um, I mean, there will be plenty of people out there who are very comfortable with the idea of a, an electric version of one of those because um, it probably does mean you can use it in ways that you wouldn't um, a conventional CSI. But the, I mean, I just want to talk about the way this thing looks because there was something, maybe this was when BMW design was at its peak around the mid 70s because it was restrained, it was very beautiful. The proportions were exquisite. Um, I just, I could just pour over one of those cars, just drink it all in, um, and I just, I'm just not sure any BMW has looked quite as good ever since. And, and this car's got the Batmobile kit on it, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So stunning. it looks amazing, stunning, absolutely looking. stunning. And actually, you know, if you want something which looks absolutely incredible, um, but which is completely future protected. Um, and you want it more as a beautiful thing to have rather than you know a dynamic thing to drive i think there's a very good case for it mm. um it's not it's not what i would choose to do with it but you know just because that's what i think it's not you know yeah. it doesn't mean that i'm right and they're wrong sure um okay so let's look at some of the others i like this one because it's guiding at 30 to forty thousand pounds so not fantasy realm anymore. Um, this is a 1964 Alfa Romeo Giulia Ti Super. And I think you pulled it out pur- purely because it's called Ti. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I pulled it out because, I mean, this is a race car we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have raced Giulia Super Ti race cars for certainly 20 years. And I, I honestly, put me in one of those on a wet track and you'll, you won't find a happier person on the planet. <laughs> these cars are 
these cars are so much fun to drive i can't i can't put into words how funny you know they are you can get those things to angles you get to the point where you think i don't know what i'd have to do to spin this because they always come back don't if you buy it and bin it don't blame me but um you can the way these cars if they're properly set up get around a track even if it's not wet um you know a corner like coppice at, at donnington you just you approach it up, up that little brow and you just give it the slightest bit of right hand lock and then instantly you're sideways and then you just get on all the power and you just ride it out all the way through that big long corner you know turning left um well with the car turning right and then and it's just like that every single corner and you can just get into these wonderful big extravagant drifts and it's got that lovely twin cam alpha engine and that wonderful five-speed gearbox um there's nothing about those cars i don't like i I wish i could i was good enough to put into words how much fun they are to drive and how i think almost more than anything else they illustrate the difference between fast and fun there have been thousands of cars i've driven which are many times as fast as that and don't even come close to being as entertaining i love those things um and you know i really do speak with experience because as i say i've been i've raced those things for decades um and yeah i'm really happier than you know behind the wheel of one of those so and you know 30 to forty thousand pounds i don't know what condition it's in i don't know whether it's ready to go or needs some work or, or whatever but you know proper fia car uh, and so eligible there's so much stuff you always with these race cars you always think well that's a nice idea and then you think well actually what can i do with it and with those cars you could do anything with it there are so many race series all over europe all over the uk and also there are so many people and so many bits you know, affordable bits so they're not scary to run by the standards of a lot of historic race cars um they're completely practical usable things and i'll stop banging on about that now because we probably had enough of me on that subject but i do love them i absolutely love them so this one is a frequent competitor in the uh the saint mary's trophy at the goodwood revival um and that's a two driver two-part race so if you're looking you if you and a mate are looking for a way into goodwood maybe it has to be it has to be a talented mate there doesn't it because the other driver has to be a pro so as long as you know gordon shedden's your best mate or something like that then um then it's great but yeah any car that will get you on a revival grid mm. i mean to me that's that's a sizable amount of money on the sticker price to begin with isn't it you know yeah. you get to race at the revival i mean it doesn't mean that it's guaranteed an entry but it's it's had one before so maybe it'll get in again yeah fantastic um yeah. there's loads of stuff in this uh, this auction there's some really old sort of 1920s 1930s kit there's um sort of modern classic stuff there's an integrale evo 2 a delorean as well um so go and have a leaf through the catalog online as i said there'll be a link uh, in the description and you can see why we're getting so worked up but let's now bring in richard stafford from bonhams and just learn a little bit more about the sale richard hello thank you for taking the time to join us um me and andrew have just been getting very excited about some of the cars that will be going up for sale uh, on june 24th um so can you just briefly tell us what you do at bonhams and what your involvement in the in the auction is uh, yeah absolutely so i'm the head of research for the car department um so i'm both consigning cars and sort of talking to um to vendors and buyers as sort of you know to put put those um sort of sales together uh, and also working with our, our cataloging team, ensuring that what we're selling is described accurately um, and to sell it as best as possible and getting all the, the provenance and history on these sort of cars. 
Presumably that's one of the reasons that people like to buy through an auction house like Bonhams because of the work you do to make sure everything is described properly, that it's, it's all authentic. Uh, it's a big part of the appeal, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people come to us because they know that we're going to be describing something accurately. If we say it's matching numbers, it's because it's matching numbers, um, et cetera, et cetera. And making sure that we've properly researched the provenance to sell a car as best as possible. So is the Goodwood Festival of Speed Sale one of your bigger ones of the year? Is it a really significant one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Festival of Speeds, uh, yeah, between that and the Revival, there are biggest sales in the UK. Um, obviously Goodwood being the biggest and best car event that there, that there is in the UK and, you know, one of the biggest in the world. Um, it's a fantastically, you know, sort of 150, 200,000 people coming through the door. Um, it's a fantastic place to, to sell cars really. So Richard, can I, can I, how far out do you start working on a sale like this? Um, when do you start thinking, all right, okay, um, festival's coming around again. So we need to start consigning lots for that is it is it weeks months how long does it take we're usually starting about six months in advance um you know sort of getting big cars advertised you know, if if something is a big important car you want to make sure it's got a good advertising push um going in all the magazines etc etc just to sort of uh, make sure we're getting the word out there about the car about the sale um so yeah i'd say about six months and then sort of most consignments are coming in between sort of two months and a month out from the sale um and then it's yeah. just getting everything photographed properly catalogued and uh and sending the catalog to print and do you, presumably you have vendors some vendors who have very firm ideas about which particular sale they want their cars to go into is, is there a sort of is there a type of car that suits a particular type of sale um or is it much more dependent on the diary and when these cars become available and whatever the next sale is there's a bit of both i mean we have specific sales so we have our golden age of motoring sale for pre-war cars um you know it sort of it comes a little bit with with the feel of the event so at the Goodwood revival you have a few more race cars sort of things around that pre-66 era um with the festival of speed because you've got all the manufacturers there you have a few more modern supercars all those sort of things obviously there's a there's a variety in every sale, um, but yeah, the revival bit more competition, festival bit more modern, and then the pre-war sales, Bewley, um, and the Golden Age of Motoring. Um, with all sales, you know they're all marketed globally, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always trying to place a car where we think it will sell best. Um, and sometimes we'll look at a car and someone will say, "Well, I want this in the Festival of Sweden." We'll say, "Actually, realistically." you'll get a better result for it at Bewley or Golden Age Motoring or Revival. And it's just giving the best advice to the client. Um, so we've just been getting very worked up about the Benetton, the Patrasian Schumacher Benetton F1 car. Um, and it seems the, the very special thing about that one is that it's on the button. It's ready to run. It's recent, very recently been demonstrated. Um, I think this, this is probably the, the headline um, lots, isn't it, for, for this sale? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this this car is, you know, it's so rare to have a Formula One car that comes to market with an actual sort of live round in it that can be can be taken <laughs> yes. out and demonstrated. Yeah. Um, you know, it was demonstrated at the members meeting this year, so only sort of two months ago, um, and has been in pretty regular demonstration use over recent years. Obviously, it's 
it's got a sort of a Motec engine management rather than the original just to make it sort of usable, usable. by, yeah. you know, by mere mortals. Um, but no, I mean, what, what a fantastic thing to, to take out, demonstrate and uh, even potentially race. So, so Richard, can I ask, how do you, so you've got a car like that, as you say, incredibly rare, uh, particularly one that works and that clearly affects its value as it should. Given how rare it is, how do you go about estimating you know you have to put an estimate on you have to put a guide on these things uh and this has obviously got quite a wide guide price it's 1.1 to 1.6 um but with so few prior examples so little to go on i mean that must be a real skill isn't it yeah absolutely and it's it's a case of just putting putting the entire team together talking you know sort of between you know the whole team here there's a huge amount of experience talking about sort of with you know with something like an e-type you can say right what are the last five sold for at auction? How does this compare? Sure. And you can you can get the values very accurately. With something like this, obviously, you know, there's very few Patrese Schumacher Benetton to come to market because there's only one or two chassis a season, et cetera, et cetera. So you look at similar Formula One cars. Was it running? Was it not running? What were the results? Who drove it? To what finishes in what races? And it's just sort of using those to create a feeling. But at yeah. the end of the day, the the ultimate decider of the the value is the bidders. Um, you know, we can sit here and say it's worth X all day long, but the ultimate person who says this is what the car's worth is the person who puts the hand in the air. So it's it's guiding at one point one to one point six. I don't know if you can put a number on it, but how much of that value is down to Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, <laughs> having qualified? It's a good it. question. If he'd never driven it, yeah. what would be what would it be guiding at? It, it would be. So uh, you put him on the spot there. <laughs> as a you know, I think as a if it was a Patrese, but up and running, mm. I'd be thinking sort of probably between seven hundred and a million. Wow, okay. maybe yeah. more. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I think it's the Schumacher connection it? does really add, you know, the yeah. the fact that he drove the car, that he got a qualifying result in it. Yeah, the most successful yeah. Formula One. It's yeah, that's great, isn't it? That's really cool. Um, so, which other cars are you excited about? Um, I mean, in the set, we've got some really um, cool. Got a couple of sort of modern supercars, the SLR seven two two, and one of my personal favourites, Jaguar XJ two twenty. Yeah. Um, you know those those cars i think are seeing a bit of a resurgence at the moment um when you look at the competitors they had in period in the eb110 and the ferrari mm. f40 we, we, we yeah we have just been discussing all of this um and that uh, yeah i was just saying just say exactly that that the 220 seems a bit of an outlier at the moment and they are creeping up aren't they but they've still got uh, a way to go before they get to you know the values of its con- their, their contemporaries yeah absolutely um and i mean you know to to drive they are i think somewhere between fantastic and terrifying um much like <laughs> much like the other two competitors but you know, i yeah. think they are they're seeing resurgence and that it's a really um still remains a really beautiful shape um which i think does sort of mean a lot in the in the car market yeah can i can i ask you a really unfair question because it's a question you you would probably want a day to answer 
Um, but what is the market doing at the moment? You know, there's so much sort of economic doom and gloom and, you know, there's, you know, inflation's, you know, through the roof and there's, there's COVID and there's Ukraine and there are so many things to worry about. And I just wonder whether that has yet started to filter through to the, to the classic car market or whether there are certain types of cars which are doing better than others and, and, and just what the sort of general Bonham's view of the way things are at the moment might be. I mean, in terms of you know, where the market is going, obviously there's a shift, as there's always been, towards the more modern classics. Um, you know, just in terms of as the generational differences come through, you know, if you'd said to me 10 years ago that R34 Skyline GTRs are going to be making $300,000, but that's where they're yeah. going because the generation that grew up watching Fast and the Furious... Yeah. are now sort of earning and have got the sort of money to say, well, look, I want the, the car that I watched on the TV growing up. In sure. terms of the, you know, the current market, and we had a very successful sale at the Goodwood Members Meeting um, back in April. That was uh, 90, 93%, 94% sold. Yeah. And with some really good prices, really good bidding. Um, and yeah, I think sort of with, with interest rates and inflation, all those sorts of things, I think there's actually a lot of people thinking maybe I want to sit my money in in something that sits in the garage is a bit of fun. It's not sat in the bank, um, and you know if it goes up, great. Otherwise, I've got something fun in the garage that I can use. Brilliant. Well, that's really insightful stuff. Um, there's, I think it's the variety in the cars um, that have been consigned that's sort of most compelling. Um, there's such a mix in there. I've I've said before, everyone listening. Go and follow the link um, in the description. You can see all the cars because there's a fascinating mix of stuff in there. Um, me and Andrew are going to be sat either at Goodwood or at home, just fantasy bidding on that Schumacher car, raising our hand, hoping no one notices. Um, and it'll just be really interesting to see what that fetch is, what all the other cars go for. Um, so, Richard, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and I hope everything goes well for the Bonham sale at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, June 24th. Fantastic. Thanks very much for having me.